This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Um, okay, everyone. So what we're going to do is we're going to go into uh, Purim, into the, the various deep aspects of Purim. And uh, today, we're just going to bring up uh, some of the mitzvahs of Purim and to uh, understand them on the deeper, le- deeper level. So the things we've got to do are as follows. Uh, first, we have to read Megillah to Esther. I don't know how to spell that in English, but apparently Esther has an H in it. Um, <laughs> Megillat Esther. And then there's, um, and then that's funny because Hashem is not in the book of Esther. Now, the, and <laughs> Esther means hidden, and it's got a hidden H in it. Uh, Megillat Esther. We're going to also have a, um, we're going to have uh, Tzedakah. Thank you. Tzedakah. And then we're going to have a, um, Mishloch Mishloach Manot, which is going to be uh, gifts. And you got to give two of those. I oh, know one of those. Mishloach Manot, yeah. Two of one, and then you have to give Matanos uh, Levionim, Matanos, Matanot Levionim, Levionim, Levionim. And that is going to be two. You've got to give two of those. And then you have to have the festive drunken meal. Now, that's basically, the, these are the items of the day. We've got to get all these done. And what you're going to find is that there's, there is an all-encompassing lesson behind... Everything that everything that you see on the board, each of these mitzvahs we'll be doing throughout the day, there's going to be an all-encompassing aspect of them. And that will begin with the word Megillah Esther. The word Megillah means revelation, and the word Esther means the hidden. The revelation of the hidden. What is the hidden that's going to be revealed in this book? What's the hidden? we got this story, it seems like happenstance, most of the story... And so what's the hidden? The hidden is Hashem's hand. It's Hashem's hand in the story. You know, we're all inside a story, aren't we? Aren't you living inside your story? Living your character? Inside this story? You know, is this, is this who you really are? Is this your... Are you guys... Wait, are you guys in costume? Mm-hmm. Are you wearing costume? I see there's some makeup. Are you guys in costume? Who, who's in this class? Who are you really? Is who you are? Is, it, is anyone who they are? You know, I get to be around toddlers. Part of being in the observant community, you get to be around a lot of toddlers. <clears throat> They're for sure who they are. Mm-hmm. But what are there any remnants of who you were at two years old left in you? Is there anything left? Yeah. Do you laugh like that? Do you cry like that? Do you love like that? Do you express like that? Or have you slowly learned how to somehow curtail it and put on a mask of normal? Be normal. The beauty of this time of year, and you've probably already noticed it on the street, I've been seeing random people who just think Purim's coming a little early, the, is that normal's not the name of the game right now. This is when we're going to be letting go of normal. Normal to us during the month of Adar is like a disease. 
It's like all those people who love to say everything was very nice. You ever met people, everything's very nice? How was Shabbos? Very nice. So what you, how was that family you went to? But they were very nice. Um, did you enjoy the wedding last night? It was very nice. Everything's very nice. It's like everyone's on glue. People ask how you're doing. Baruch Hashem. No, no, how you're really doing. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> Normal. It's funny, like, for example, in Shaduchim, like, a lot of you will be getting married in the next couple of years, and, and you're, you know, wouldn't you like to marry into a normal family? <laughs> Problem is, have you ever met one? <laughs> you ever met a normal family? See, the beauty of where I live, I live in, in Nachlaot, which is where the, the uh, we have these Yiddish-speaking shtetlach. It's all, I mean, we're the, my kids are all Yiddish-speaking, but my wife and I are the non-Yiddish speakers of our community, except for the one guy who married a Yemenite. And, the, and so, the, the, it's a Yiddish-speaking little community, and everybody knows everybody's laundry. Like, we know everything about every family. They know everything about us. We know everything about them. There's no such thing as normal in our neighborhood. And because of that, we're all so close. We're so tight. We totally take care of each other. When someone needs something, there's no embarrassment whatsoever to express that need. You just go to the family that can take care of that need, and they take care of you. And it's a beautiful thing. But I was refurbishing my house uh, a couple years ago in Nachlo, and it happened to be a convenient time to leave the community for like a little while while we did a massive renovation. And I was living on the other side of the tracks, which is the Black Hattitude side. Okay? Haredi side of town. And I lived over there for a period of about maybe a year and ten months. I have to say, I, it was one of the most uncomfortable times of my life. I was extremely uncomfortable. First of all, just in the local area, I always felt like I was having an, an uh, uh, just the way people looked each other down a little bit, like just kind of checking each other out a little bit. And ha- if you could like, if you were walking the walk and being normal, so, I mean, it felt like, it felt like a, a full-time um, colonoscopy. <laughs> Not fun. And the, uh, and, but the other thing was, because it's such a gigantic population per block compared to my shtetl, which is like a total fiddler on the roof situation, but the, the amount of human beings per hundred feet, was so large that there was, that, that it was better just to, no one knows anything about anyone, and therefore we'll all just kind of walk by each other like ghosts, and be as normal as possible. Meanwhile, I've yet to meet a normal family, and I've always found the least abnormal person in the family the most brilliant, the most special, the most incredible. Just heard this amazing story over Shabbos. I think, uh, I think this story. Oh, man, there were so many speakers on Shabbos. I can't remember. I was at a big Shabbaton, and it was either Rabbi Orlovsky or it was Rabbi Abramov. But the the story goes that this uh, the the Rabbi of Vienna had a had a son who was like a a prince. I mean, he was a a prince of Torah. And you know the story. Rabbi Vanessa, she just had this look like, oh, I know that story, <laughs> which makes it impossible. Try telling a story to someone who knows it. So, the, anyway, it was like a prince, the son. 
And the son was learning outside in their gardens with a friend. They were talking to her out in the garden. And just then, the duke, meaning the, 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 the ruler of that area, was coming by in his fancy carriage. And with his daughter in the, in the carriage, she sees this young man. And she stops the carriage. And she looks at the shining light of a young man and tells the duke, her father, she says, this is my husband. I want this boy. And the Duke, of course, looks at her and says, Jews, filthy Jews, you want a filthy Jew? Drive on! And the driver drives on. And she began to fast and refused any food until she had this, had this prince as her. His, he wasn't a prince, he was the son of the rabbi of Vienna. But he was like, to us, that's a prince. And she fasted and she got more and more ill and the parents tried to convince her, like, why would you ever want a Jew? And finally, she was going to die. At which point the Duke said, that's it. I'm going over there with my soldiers tomorrow. We're going to take them, convert them, and marry them off to her. So she'll eat. Now, all the soldiers got alarmed that they're going to be up early in the morning to go do this, this little, uh, you know, take the kid. Uh, table for two right here, please. Table for two. <laughs> I seat people. That's what I do. Uh, is this yours? Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a tour in there. <laughs> no, no, no. Maybe it's tour. Just to catch you up on the story, we're in the middle of the story. Uh, basically, the daughter of a duke, Gentile duke in Vienna, the leader of that community, uh, her da the daughter wanted the son of the rabbi of the community. And she started fasting because obviously the Duke doesn't want his daughter marrying a Jew. So she fasted, fasted, right before she died, the king was going to go take him right, you know, take the guy, take him by force, the son of the rabbi of the community. And convert him. And then they they would be married. Word got out amongst the soldiers, and I guess some word got out a little bit in the town until in the middle of the night, someone came over to the rabbi and said, your son's going to be taken in the morning and converted by force and married off to the duke. And the king, sorry, the king, I have everything mixed up. I think it's because it's Rabbi Arbach's day of his funeral that, uh, they, you know, to the Jewish people, um, rabbis, are, are the, rabbis are always the rulers. You know, it's that we. It's only the last seventy years. How old is the state of Israel? For seventy years. Mm -hmm. It's only the last mm -hmm. seventy. Seventy. It's only the last seventy years that we've had what's called politicians. Jews have for the last. And um, someone help me with the math. For the last three thousand three hundred and twenty-nine minus seventy years, our leaders have always been the Torah scholars. The top scholars are our leaders always. Meaning every king, every head of state, every president, every prime minister in the world who had to deal with the Jews meant he was dealing with the holiest top Torah scholar of the whole entire community for all of history, from Moses till the state of Israel. And it goes, it makes sense too, because if you think of all tribal communities, because we're a tribal community, you know the Jewish people are not a religion. You know that. We're we're tribal. We are a pure tribe. So if you look at all the tribal traditions, Native Americans, tribes in India, tribes in, in, uh, in Southeast Asia, the tribes of Africa, the tribes of 
of South America, the tribes of Central America, who's the leader of the tribe? Who's the leader? Chief. Who's the chief? That's when, who is the chief? Well, what's he called in most of those circles? He's called the medicine chief. Why is he called the medicine chief? And the answer is his mastery over the esoteric was the highest. And part of understanding the esoteric is all the way how it moves its way through the metaphysical worlds into the outer crust called the physical world, our world. And so why medicine? Why is it called the medicine chief? Because the plants are part of the divine. And people, the one who understands plant technology on the highest level is the leader. By us, the one who understands the most of the, the metaphysical, i.e. the whole Kabbalistic parallel worlds, including the medicines, although the Jews, we hid our book. You know, we had a book of all the healings, of all the plants. You know, we had that book. We had as much healing as any shaman in any place and anywhere in the world. But our rabbis decided to hide the book. You know why? Because they thought the plants were healing them. Do plants heal, or does God heal through plants? Well, God gives us the right. ability. God heals through the plants. And the plants do not heal. God heals through the plants. And when the rabbis saw that people were just turning to the plants instead of God, so then they said, you know what? We'd, this, this is a crazy thought. We'd rather have people live shorter lives. A lot of people live shorter lives as a result of this. We'd rather have people live shorter lives connected to God than longer lives connected to plants. I mean, think about it yourself. If you had the option to cure cancer or bring meaning to the planet so that there would be a venge- so that you would get the world to world peace, to unity, to the end of all war, to the love of every human being for his fellow man, or you can cure cancer and help people live longer but in turmoil with meaninglessness ripping at their souls. Which one would you choose? Would you choose the cure of cancer? Or would you bring the light of reality and truth and connectivity and, and vibrational resonance to all humanity? Which one would you bring? I know it sounds like I stacked it up, but I'm just trying to drive home the point of why the rabbis hid the Book of Healing, why they hid all the, the, the secrets of the medicines of the planet. Back to our story. <laughs> Everyone's like, huh? Back to our story. The, the rabbi at two in the morning, from midnight till two in the mornings, what are we going to do? And then he suddenly has an idea. He says, wait a second. Don't you turn on the AC? Make sure the fan's on low. He says, I have an idea. First idea is take off my sweater. He says, I have an idea. They, they're Christians. They respect marriage. Let's just marry off our sons. So when they come in the morning to get him, we'll say, must be some mistake. He's married. And so that's what they agreed on. Their only problem was it was two in the morning. Uh, put the fan on low. So you'll see a little fan button. So how do you get, how do you get your son married off? By the morning, at two, when it's already two in the morning. How do you get that done? So it turns out that they had an orphan who was their house cleaner. And she lived in a little, like, you know, guest, you know, a little room outside their house. 
I have an orphan girl. She was Jewish. Her name was Blumala. And Blumala the orphan, you know, the house cleaner. So they woke her up and they said, listen, we got a problem. Our son's going to be kidnapped tomorrow and converted. We just need you to be married to him for maybe 12 hours max. You know, we'll take it. We'll, you'll be divorced by noon. But in the morning, you got to be married to him, if you're will. And Blumala says, fine, what am I going to say? You know? And so, you know, you can imagine though Blumala, you know, was growing up at the same time as this prince of Torah, the son of the rabbi of Vienna. So she knew exactly who she was marrying. Anyway, they made a wedding. He led the marriage. And they made a wedding in the middle of the night for Blumala and, and the prince, whose name was Yitzchak. And the next morning, the king came with his men to take away Yitzchak. And, of course, it was a done deal. They're like, he's married. He must be mistaken. And there is Blumala. She's like, this is my beloved husband. You know, and the, and the king's like, well, I guess we're sorry. Uh, and the king left. And I guess his daughter started eating. We don't know what happened to his daughter, the princess. And then they went to dissolve the marriage between Blumala and Yitzchak. And Blumala said, like, you know, I, I do kind of like him. <laughs> she didn't want to put her heart out there too much, but she was like, you know, I, did, I grew up with him, basically. Like, I, I, I do love him. And they're like, that's nice. You know, I don't think the rabbi of Vienna is going to have his daughter married off to a, a um, orphaned housemaid. And anyway, but so they go to, they, anyway, they're going to dissolve it without her will because it's up to the husband anyway regarding the giving a get, which is a divorce contract. When they went to the son to sign the contract, the divorce, he said, you know, I don't think I want to break an orphan's heart. And they're like, what? And he says, I'm not, I'm not going to break her heart if she really wants to be married to me. I'm not going to just divorce her like that. And so that was it. Yitzchak married Blumala. And... And they lived happily ever after, the two of them. But here's the craziest part of this whole story, is that the two of them had 14 sets of twins. They had 28 kids. And it became so famous that they had 28 kids, and this is hundreds of years ago, this is before last names. You know when people were just like, I'm Glazer because someone made glass. That's why, please stop asking people named Glazer if they're related, okay? Just don't do it anymore. <laughs> they're not related. Okay? Anyone with a last name that's a trade, just figure out first if it's a trade, then ask if they know whoever it is. If it's a trade, don't ask. And no one named Glazer is related to each other. We just all had glassmakers for grandparents. Now, the, um, anyway, this family, <laughs> I can tell you how many times I've had to say that. Um, this family became known as the Tu'umim. Their last name became Tu'umim, the twins. And I know many people who know Tu'umim, meaning they know the last name. Tu'umim means twins. They, to this day, there are still Tu'umim in the world from that family. And their last name is Tu'umim. Anyone here know Tu'umim? Anyone know Tu'umim? You know Tu'umim? 
Very nice. In America or here? America. America, you know, too. <laughs> sometimes you hear stories and you're like, come on, Rabbi. But sometimes you get a lady raising her hand at the end of the class saying she knows two me. And that's that family. Just through the men's side, obviously, because the women would have taken another last name. Believe it or not, this was the longest digression, maybe in the history of the world, on the word normal. They took a not normal daughter. And they took a not normal girl as their daughter-in-law. And that made all the difference. Don't break people's hearts. Don't break... The other lesson. Don't break people's hearts. And perhaps God will shine a light on you as someone who cares that much and stops being so selfish when it comes to your name and your reputation, otherwise known before Purim, your mask. Stop choosing your spouse based on your mask and start choosing your spouse on soulmates, real soulmates. Soulmates. That's where it's at. You want to be married to a name or you want to be married to your soulmate? We're going to read the book, the book called Megillat Esther. Megillah means the hidden and Esther means the, sorry, Megillah means the reveal and Esther means the hidden. What is hidden? So that what is hidden is the name of God. Throughout the entire book of Megillat Esther, you do not see the name of God once. What you do see is a lot of happenstance throughout the story. This story, by the way, goes on for years. I know when you read the story, it looks like it's all happening kind of in a, at least within the realm of a year, but the story actually spreads out over years. I don't understand the timeline. I've never studied the timeline, but it's long. It's years. And all of the things that are happening throughout the story are very, very kind of happenstance coincidental in nature. But what's really happening is God is behind the scenes. Now, is it a happy story or a sad story? It's a sad story. There's almost nothing happy about the story except that the Jews aren't slaughtered at the end of the story. That's about it. And the happy ever after. Which happy they ever have to. So like, it's a sad story, like, at the end of the day, like, it's all good. No, the whole story was sad. Beginning <laughs> to end. The only happy part was the genocide didn't take place. Mm-hmm. They didn't even get to rebuild the temple at the end because Esther had that insane idea of hanging Haman's ten dead sons which was just to set up the code for, 2000, for 1946 when the 10 Nazis were hung. Meaning that it was just, that was the, like, we didn't even get the temple back. We had to come back on our own. We had to have the temple only rebuilt in the next generation by her son, Daryavish. It's like, what's the happy part of the story? The Jews we're, 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 in, uh, we're in exile. We're assimilating into their culture. We get a genocide attempt. The Jews realize they're all going to die. And then ultimately, they, and then the, the, a prophetess named Esther gets taken by the king who basically rapes her for however long she was there. She was only taken each time because this is something a lot of people don't know. She was already married. She was married to Mordechai, the one who took her on as, and raised her. Mordechai not just raised her, he married her. And he, so here she is, a married woman, and the only way she can stay with Mordechai is as long as she never goes willingly to 
Ahasuerus. She has to never go willingly. She has to always be taken. If she's taken, she's still married. These are laws of, of, uh, of, uh, of uh, adultery. Laws of adultery is, is a, a rape victim can stay with her husband, whereas a willing adulteress cannot if her husband has das over it. If the husband doesn't know about it, they're still married. But if the husband knows about it, then they're not married. That's why if, if uh, you know, as rabbis, we sometimes get uh, women who have made big mistakes. And they come to us, and our first question is always, what? Does your husband know? If her husband knows, then then it's over. If the husband doesn't know, then it's still okay. The one way out of all this is is that sometimes you have a couple who got married in a totally secular fashion, and we hold by Rav Moshe Feinstein that they're not even married, and so and so based on Rav Moshe Feinstein that they never had a halachic marriage, so they're never quite married, and even though he knows that she made a mistake, they're still not married. But now that they're getting strong in their Judaism, they can get married, even though they have kids together and live in a house together and share everything. Now they can get a halachic marriage, even though, you know, did that make any halachic sense to you? Yeah. Sometimes halacha is weird like that. Yes? Oh, that law. <laughs> That's not a, that, yeah, that is, a, that was not a rape, actually. Oh, rape too, you're right. Yeah, rape too. The, um, no, because it's also, it's also, it's not just rape, it's a, a mefate, how do you say mefate? A seducer. It's the same. Seducer or, or a rapist. So, yeah. By the way, um, when it comes to, do you know why, you understand why we have that law, by the way? I understand why it existed back then. Why? No, no, we don't, we don't do it today. Today we don't. But you know why back why back then? Just tell everybody so they understand, because it sounds so weird. I'll explain with more detail. What happened was life was very different back then. When you were a father, you had to marry your kids off. No man could afford to have his kids grow up and live in their house forever, as everyone has happening today in America, where kids are like literally coming home after university and not leaving. Um, you couldn't afford it. And people are having trouble affording it today, actually. Many parents are charging rent to their kids in their house because they can't afford it. But anyway, it was impossible to afford it. Now, your son, he can go make a living, but the women were very, very vulnerable. And so what you had, though, was your daughter, the virgin, who you can now marry off to some good family, and they'll take care of her. he'll take care of her for the rest of her life. But the rapist has now ruined that. And because he ruined that, now it's his obligation. He takes on the obligation. Now, do you think any girl? You think any girl went to a rapist? No. It's not so much. It was like it's like Ben Sora Moore. It's like the kind of law that never happened type thing. You know that what I mean? Mm-hmm. Ben Sora Moore is the wayward kid, the crazy kid. You know the the knucklehead, gluttonous child. You know it never happened. It's there to teach us something, and what it's there to teach us. This again, the, the, it probably. I don't know if the Talmud records that this ever happened, but it probably never happened. Why? Because no girl's ever going to go to a rapist. So it's up to the girl. It's just that if, for whatever reason, oh, sorry, the seducer, the seducer more likely has to stick with her. You know, which makes all the sense, that makes all the sense in the world. Meaning, if I met some guy, even today, 
if I met some slimy guy who seduced a good girl, and and now she's like, you know, he's violator basically, and he likes her. She likes him obviously. She allowed herself to get seduced by him. She must have some amount of care for him or love for him. But let's just say she does love him. He should for sure marry her. I would make this punk marry her. Yeah, you, that's what you want to do. You want to seduce girls. Great, she's yours for the rest of your life. And you want to know something? The, the luck is, he can never divorce her. She can, she can force a divorce upon him, but he can never divorce her. I mean, if he goes to Basin and says, I want to divorce this girl, Basin just says, sorry, Charlie, you're never going to get out of this one. Which is such a, it's such an amazing, you, you hear the mm -hmm. measure for measure. Yeah, but how do we you know, know but how we, regarding rape, no girl ever went to a rapist. What's that? Define someone being seduced, and who's going to be like a witness to say that he was seducing her? Seducing her. Um, that's a that's a good point. The um, I imagine that there's I haven't learned those masectas, but I imagine there's some level there's there's some pretty clearly defined criteria for seduction. I'm not sure what they are. Back to our story. So we're all inside a story right now. You're in a story. You're inside your life story. Why was I bringing up that the story was sad? The reason I was bringing up the story was sad was because, by the way, we're celebrating, we're partying, we're reading that story like uh, retrospect, you know, like, like all this stuff's leading to the fact that we're going to get saved. But you get that nothing in the story is so good, except for the final kind of redemption, kind of redemption. We didn't quite get redeemed. We had to come back on our own and rebuild the temple on our own. And it wasn't easy. It didn't go so well, the whole thing. <clears throat> it's a difficult story. Why are, we reading, why are we reading a difficult story on a celebratory day? And the answer is, well, I'll ask you guys. Raise your hand if you ever had any part of your life that was a difficult story, if you were to tell it. Raise your hand if you ever had a difficult story in your life. And the answer is everyone in the room. Everyone in the room has had a difficult story. I'm speaking tonight at an event here for a family that lost four kids, five kids in a fire, something like that. And it was four or five kids in a fire many years ago. And this is the year that their son's classmates are in yeshiva in Israel. And so they're throwing a special event for all those boys, all his classmates. Because they're 18. They're 18 now. And they're all here. And they've all, for years, every year they make a seum. They, they finish a tractate in honor of their classmate. We're all inside our Megillah. We'd all love to be on the other side of it. Believe me, those Jews wanted the other side of it. We get to celebrate today. We're going to celebrate Purim. Who's into celebrating Purim? You guys going to celebrate Purim? Mm -hmm. We're going to party on Purim because we're after the story. We're on the other side. Some people are still in their story. We don't have the, your revelation of all of our whole lives and everything. Yeah, we do. I'm not going to ask how old you are, but can you think of a story 10 years ago that was quite difficult? Yeah, yeah, of course. You got one in mind? Yeah, I see the connection. That ended. 
Yeah, but the, as a Jewish people, we don't have the whole. Oh, story. our story. That's what I mean. Yeah. That one we have, and also, interestingly, that'll be our only holiday that we keep at the end of days. In the story that we have, the whole story, we get it that it was all just a story, God's story. That's why it's called His Story, capital H, His Story. That's happening now. Oh yeah, we're in the story. We got Achashverosh in the White House. We got his daughter is his daughter is Esther Ivanka. <laughs> We're going to skip uh, Melania or whatever her name is. Is that her name? Mal- Melania? Melania. 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 What? Wouldn't Trump be more like Memucha? What? Wouldn't Trump be more like Memucha? No, it's. Trump is Achashverosh. He's 100% Achashverosh. Why? Trump? Oh, you know, no, there's uh, most of the Meforshim. Most of the commentaries of Megillah, if you read through all the Mephorshim, mm-hmm. there's lots of them. Like there's like hundreds of Mephorshim. But the one thing they all have in common is that Achashverus is a blithering idiot. We're not talking about his private life. We're talking about his policies. Can't stop here. I just want to make sure this is straight on Facebook, not Twitter. If it's Twitter, you may just. I'm, I'm a little late. Okay. He did a lot of good things for Jewish people, so I think we should also we should look at. He will too. Achashverus, you know, look what he did for us, you know. Afterwards, yeah, we're only discussing being crazy. We're not discussing good moves, bad moves. Okay, listen. Um, I think I didn't get very far on these mitzvahs, so we're still in the story. Anyway, we're all inside our story, and the story may be difficult, but it's always knowing that God, the King, right? God's called the King in the Megillah Esther. To always know you're in the plan. This is the plan. We're in the plan. It's a crazy, crazy plan. The plan's crazy. It's a crazy story. We're all inside this crazy story. And you have your own little crazy story, and she has her crazy story. And you're in your crazy story. <laughs> I'm in my crazy story. And you want to know the craziest thing is like, I don't know how crazy your story is, but if you like were to tell me your story, so I'd be like, you know, I'd cry with you, and I'd be there with you, but, you know, th- then I'm going to move on, you know, I, I mean, I don't know her, you know, like, I'll move on, but when you have kids, you're linked to the story, you can't move on, you understand what I mean, your own children, you can't move on from the story, if I can hear your story, I'll cry with you, I'll hear it, and we'll cry together, but then I'm going to be back on my bike, shooting through the Jewish quarter, just like, cranking my tunes, and just, I'm not in your story anymore, I care for you. And your story, I bless you to see its resolution. But you understand, you know, I'm moving on. My kids, I'm linked to those stories. So it's awesome when you're married to get that this story that is my story and the story that's their stories and my siblings' stories. Don't we all have siblings that our hearts are ripping to pieces for over them? That things haven't, you know, you guys are still young and dumb, but some of us are a little older and have seen the outcome of our siblings' choices. And our hearts, your heart could break a thousand times a day over them. We're linked to those stories, and it's so nice to know that it's a story they're in. We're all part of a story. And the revelation of the king is on its way for us to understand it. And in fact, not only do we, is the only book we're going to read, Megillah Esther, at the end of days. 
but we're also going to have a Megillat Tainus that talks about all the fast days to show us why it was good. All our fast days of the hardest times of our history, we're going to have celebra- celebrations. We don't even say Tachanun on Tisha B'Av. Why don't we say Tachanun on Tisha B'Av? Tisha B'Av. Like, when I'm wearing regular shoes, we're like, we're unlaundered. We're like, you can't get bigger mourning than that. Why can't I just put my head down and say the morning's prayer over the temple? Why can't I do that on Tisha B'Av? And the answer is, it's Moed. It's Moed. Like Sukkot is Moed, Pesach's Moed, Shavuot is Moed. It's Moed. What do you mean it's Moed? We're sitting on the floor morning. Can't even say hi to people. I can't put my head down? No, you can't put your head down because when Mashiach comes, we're going to understand why the story was good. Why was it a good story? And that's why it's called Megillat Esther, the revelation of the hidden. And perhaps you will all, I'm going to finish with that, I'm not going to go into the mitzvahs of the day, perhaps you will all start to realize that this story that you wished were on the other side of, raise your hand, everyone in this room, who is in the middle of some aspect of their life story, that they really wish they were on the other side of. Like, I'd like to be done with this part, and let's move on to the next part. Raise your hand if you're in that part. Keep your hands up, though, this time. I don't want an L, I want a V, okay? Let's get the Vavs for people who wouldn't mind being on the other side of their story. You're happy with everything going on? Great. Okay, hand up. Uh, L, a uh, vote, please. And uh, now, keep your hand up if you've been through other things in your life that have developed who you are today. Now, are you sure you want out of this story? Now, put your hands down if you're willing to just say, you know what, this is what's happening in the story. I'll take the growth that I'm going through. Take the growth? I'll take the growth. Put your hand up if you'll take the growth of your story. And you'll, you're not going to try to, you're going to stop trying getting out of it and actually get the growth you're supposed to get from it. Good. Okay, put your hands down. Who you are today is as a result of the stories that you wished were out over. So I'll ask you a question. Would you trade everything you went through in all of your tough stories, but you'd also have to trade who you became? Yes. One yes. Everyone else says no. And I'll tell you, the last time I asked, oh, years ago I asked that question, a guy said he lost his son when he was a kid. But it sent him on this meaning mission, a meaning of life mission, that led him ultimately to Israel. Changed his life forever. Changed his life forever. And you want to know something? He said, he raised his hand in my class and he says, as much as he wished that his son was alive, he would not trade it. Whoa. Uh, Good Purim, everybody. We'll go into the rest tomorrow. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.